are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Amen. And I come to you today with a burden and clear direction that I have had for some time now for this service. And I invite you to look with me to the book of Deuteronomy. I don't think I've ever said that in all of my teaching. I don't know that I've ever taught specifically from Deuteronomy. So that's a little intimidating, and I'm sure you're wondering where in the world I'm going to be speaking from. Deuteronomy chapter 17, and I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 20. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, And then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers, and you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself. Or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself. And the women said, Amen. Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom... He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And with the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach to you on this subject, your personal copy, your personal copy. You can be seated. Thank you for being here today. I love American history. Does anyone else in this room bleed red, white, and blue, and just get excited. The 4th of July is probably my second favorite holiday because I am just overflowing with patriotism. I don't know where I get that, but I just, I just want to go crazy. I want everything I'm wearing to be red, white, and blue on the 4th of July. But this was definitely modeled for me and nurtured in me growing up. I visited many historic sites on family vacations and on quiz trips, right, Emma and Jenna? And I'm pretty certain that I have been to every major battlefield in the United States, at least most of them. I would say more than most people I have visited battlefields. And most of you know who is the reason for that. My holy father was a great patriot, um, and he, call, he had us call him Father Divine uh, when we were being slightly disrespectful. He said, you may call me Father Divine, and he truly was. Um, but I recall a couple of family vacations 
built around historical sites. And I suppose for him, it was a much-needed break from the glittery, estrogen-driven trips to the kingdom, to Mickey's kingdom, to Cinderella's castle. For those of you who don't know, my dad was a John Wayne, NRA, flag-waving kind of guy. He was a man's man. But he was an amazing girl dad, too. He really was. But I guess it's fair to say that sometimes he needed a break from the team pink. He needed a break from all of that. And so he took us to Washington, D.C. and Williamsburg. We went to Lincoln's birthplace several times. And bless God, if we were in close proximity to a battlefield, we would drive out of our way to pay homage to that sacred ground. And I recall an especially memorable day in Colonial Williamsburg. Anybody been to Williamsburg? Oh, yes. Don't judge me on what I'm about to confess to you publicly, okay? I'm guessing that I was about 13 or 14 years old based on my general attitude and demeanor during this time. (laughs) To say that I felt let down that we were in Williamsburg on our family vacation is an understatement. Um, But my dad was euphoric. And um, he was giddy, I recall, with delight, with the visitor's guide. And he would map out, he would assign numbers to each opportunity to visit and learn and glean from this historic experience. And it was just a day full of colonial bliss. And the first thing that he did was buy a three-point hat. (laughs) Just like the one he had when he was a kid. And because I was mortified at this, he said, fine. Because you've said that, I'm going to wear it all day. And he did. I know that surprises you, but... I followed him around, we followed him around all day long, map in hand. And guys, to my defense, this is a sharp turn away from the land of magic. We've gone from princesses to people dressed in period costumes. There's no wands, there's muskets, there's buildings with no AC, there's no character greetings, there's nothing. It couldn't have been more different. But my dad was very comfortable to let me know again, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. That's exactly right. But he was sure happy. And in hindsight, I'm glad. He deserved to be happy. He deserved to do something masculine on his vacation. So now I too planned trips, family vacations, even quiz trips around any potential historic opportunity. Because one of my favorite things to be in the world is a tourist. I love it. The gratuitous photography. I love the gift shops. Yes, I love them. I want something that says, I was there. I had that experience. It was awesome. I'm that person. And so this past spring, the Ellis Five made such a junket to the great state of Pennsylvania. 
And we began in Gettysburg, and we ended in Philadelphia. And I had visited, believe it or not, Philadelphia as a junior Bible quizzer. I was about nine years old, but I have vivid memories of everything that we did on that trip. And so true to my upbringing, we did everything. Betsy Ross's house, Ben Franklin's house, Christ Church, the U.S. Mint, the Liberty Bell, and of course, Independence Hall. Now, those little dots right there, that's Tom and the girls. But see, there's my photography. Wait, wait, we need a picture, picture that we've been here. But in Independence Hall, you get to see the room where the Revolutionary War began. And the same room is where the Declaration of Independence was signed. And there we are, you guys. I asked some poor stranger to take our picture because I was so excited. I mean, I could visualize it. It happened here And safe to say, I was more excited than anyone else, but it's fine. And so when you go to Independence Hall, there is this small museum of artifacts that includes one of George Washington's personal copies of the Constitution. That's pretty cool. He actually had two copies. One is there in Philadelphia, and the other is in Mount Vernon. And in the margins, that's Emma and Audrey. I'm that mom that, like, pressed them up against the glass to say, that's George Washington's handwriting. Do you see that? Do you see it? Yes. You need to know that's George Washington's handwriting. So I took a picture of that moment. But you can see his personal notations. It was the final draft before it was ratified. And so you can see his edits, if you will. It's truly amazing. But see, Washington was the leader of that meeting, and so he got to keep that last draft, his personal notation still visible. And my Audrey Mae was so inspired by all of this that she bought her own copy in the gift shop, and I was so proud that she did that. But here in Deuteronomy 17, we read specific instructions given to the children of Israel before they arrived at the promised land. God knew that they would want a king, even though he wanted to be their king. And he warns them in this chapter to choose wisely, and he gives them very specific parameters for their new king. The verses we read this morning are written specifically about the king. It's a code of conduct, if you will. Some are very practical. Don't worry about acquiring a bunch of horses, which really meant don't rely on your military strength. Don't acquire a bunch of wives. Amen. That is one thing in scripture I have a hard time reconciling within myself, but that's another time and another place. But, and then the third thing was don't worry about acquiring a bunch of extra wealth. And this is really good advice. That all of these things were potential distractions for the king, women, power, and money. But verse 18 is quite intriguing and is our focus this morning. This verse gives a most interesting requirement of kings as they come to the throne. And I want to look at it again with you now. Also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. Another version says it like this. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy 
of this law. God made it clear the importance of his word, even to the king. The first assignment that a king had was to write out a copy of the law for himself. It was to be his personal copy. The first kingly act would be to write down scripture. It wasn't something his aide could do. Not even a secretary could assist in the process, but the king had to write it himself. Some scholars say that this would have included the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Are you overwhelmed? I am. Some believe that it was only the book of Deuteronomy that he had to write out. But either way, that's a whole lot of writing, folks. That is one major hand cramp. There was no printing press. There was no ballpoint pens. The king was given a copy, but then he had to write it out on his own. Can you imagine such a task? I picture a desk and a very stately-looking individual with beautiful robes and maybe rings on his finger sitting with parchment down and in an inkwell, sitting there hours and hours doing this incredible task. It was a major effort on the part of this novice king. It was time-consuming. It was a commitment. And for us, it would be like the president coming to office and sitting down in the Oval Office to write his own copy of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Think of all the things if you had just been elected to office, if you had just been crowned king or queen, all of the things that you were ready to do, right? You want to knock around some heads, you want to change some things up, you want to fire some people, you want to hire some people. You want justice to be served? There's a new sheriff in town, bless God. And I'm cleaning house. So why this? Why is this necessary for a king who has everything he needs at his disposal? Why does he have to first handwrite the scripture? I think it's fair to assume that there were things that the king didn't have to do. He didn't have to even think about it. They were done for him. He had a staff. He had many, many resources. But God was clear. The king had to write it down for himself. The responsibility was his as king. The priest couldn't do it for him. His assistants couldn't do it. Not even his family could participate and help him in this way. And verse 19 explains the purpose of all of this. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. The word of God was to be the constant companion and reference to the king of Israel. Something that he read every day. And all of us here need the word of God. We need it every day. For it gives light to our darkness. It provides spiritual nourishment to us. It gives us direction. It gives us correction. And it provides protection. 
Joshua chapter 1 verses 7 through 8 say, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. When Moses turned the charge over to Joshua, he gave him the law and said, consider the law, meditate in it. It's only then that you will truly prosper and you will be successful, Joshua. You see, it's not enough to have a Bible. It is not enough to have an app on your phone that makes it available to you constantly. It isn't even enough to hear the word of God taught or preached. But today we need a personal copy. One that is written on our hearts every day. The Bible compares the word of God to food. And this is most interesting to those of us who are committed to food at a high level. If you're anything like me, food is a big deal. And I was hangry before there was a term for it. It's the highlight of every day for me, you guys. And I've confessed to you before that when I'm fasting, Tom knows it because I am angry. <laughs> it is a special sacrifice and God knows my struggle. But I, I plan my meals in advance. They're my happy thoughts. It's just something that I look forward to. Eating is one of the ways that I have fun, okay? And if that makes me a boring person, I don't even care. But when the Bible talks about the necessity of the word of God in terms of food, it has my attention. What an analogy. Because food is necessary for life. Isn't that something true that Kathy said? I think so. Chick-fil-A guy. In fact, meals directly impact our daily schedule. We build our plans around food, you guys. That is the truth. And so let us look at what the Bible says. Job chapter 23 verse 12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Jeremiah 15 verse 16 says, I hope my quizzers are quoting with me, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The New Living Translation says, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. The Living Bible says, your words are what sustain me. They are food to my hungry soul. Psalms chapter 19 verse 10 says, More to be desired are they, the word of God, than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. 
I would say, based on the food analogy that the Bible uses, that we need to consume the Word of God more than once a day. I don't know about you, but I eat more than once a day. And if you don't, if I don't, you know I'm either sick or I'm fasting. I'm committed to three meals a day as a good American. But when I eat a meal, I do more than just look at it and appreciate it. Although I am that weirdo that takes pictures of her food sometimes. Because it's just so beautiful. And I have to remember that experience. It's one thing for me to go to Chewy's. Hallelujah. I'm going to have a move of God one way or the other. And see my jalapeno ranch and say, "Mm, that looks amazing. Because I do have people that I send pictures of my jalapeno ranch to because they don't have a Chewy's and I just got to rub it in like, you guys, you wish you were with me right now. I've posted about jalapeno ranch. I have. But it's one thing for me to talk about that, to celebrate it, to take pictures of it, to share it, to tell other people, you've got to have this experience, you guys. And it's an altogether different thing for me to actually eat the jalapeno ranch with chips because it can satisfy my hunger if I'll eat it. But if I just appreciate it and take pictures of it, well, that doesn't benefit me as much as it could, right? And I submit to you that based on the importance and necessity the Bible places on itself, that we should approach our time spent in the word of God with great intentionality. We should not just read it. I love all of the amazing resources that are available to us in our modern world. Resources that I use to prepare for this message. Websites like Blue Letter Bible and Bible Gateway, the YouVersion app. If I've taught you a personal Bible study, I have showed you YouVersion. I have showed you these resources because I understand how important it is to have these tools and to use them. But the truth is, Reading and learning something are two very different things. They are very different commitments of our time. Psalms chapter 1 describes what a steadfast believer looks like. Psalm 1-1 says he's like a tree. I'm sorry, Psalm 1-3 says he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaf doesn't wither. And whatever he does, the Bible says, will prosper. What an amazing promise in the word of God. But today I realize the verse before this verse tells us how such stability and strength is available to us. Because verse 2 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law... He meditates day and night. Now, I want to look at what that word meditate means, because if you're like me in our culture, it kind of turns me off. I'm none of this, okay? That's not what we're talking about. And so I have the definition for you, according to Strong's Concordance, that it means to murmur or to quote To ponder, to imagine, to meditate, to mutter, to speak, to study, to talk, to utter. 
Much more than just thinking about the word of God or processing it. You say it. You speak the word of God. According to Psalms 1-2, it includes saying or quoting the word of God. This can include journaling. It can include writing it down. It can include listening to it. Because God's word is not just something we are to consume and be done with it. It is something that we consider throughout our day. We think about the word of God. Jennifer Rothschild is a Christian writer and author, and I don't know if you've heard of her, but she is an amazing individual, and her influence in the kingdom is very unique because she is blind And she's a writer. She's a very eloquent speaker. And one of the things that she says is, one of the best gifts that came with blindness was the need to memorize scripture. Memorizing it is the only way that I can access it. However, it has also taught me that even if we can see to read the Bible, we still need To hide it in our hearts. She goes on to say, one way I memorize scripture is I listen to it over and over again. The psalmist explains that like this. Psalms 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Think of that word, hide Why do we hide things? Why are we motivated to keep some things in secret places that no one else knows where it is? Again, I want to look at the word for hide, and scripture means covering over, to hoard or reserve, specifically, favorably, to protect, to esteem, to lay up secretly in a place. This definition implies great personal value and intent. Today, I feel under God to do much more than just appeal to those families who might be interested in Bible quizzing. But I have a mandate from the Lord to appeal to everyone at the Calvary Church to be a Bible quizzer. And here's why. Number one, quizzers memorize the word of God. These children and young people memorize it word for word. Number two, they study the word. It's a daily commitment. Number three, quizzers answer questions. They have to understand the meaning of the verse in order to do that. And that's one of the things that we work on every week. And so this is not to glorify Bible quizzing in any way. The Lord gave me this mandate this summer for TCC to not just be a Bible-quizzing church, but to be a Bible-loving church. The priority of memorizing Scripture is not just a commitment for the younger members of this church. I appreciate and I do my best to apply Deuteronomy 6 that says we are to teach our children all day, every day. But I understand that the king had to write a copy too. 
And here at TCC, the word has always been our foundation. And we are so blessed because of that. I would argue that everything we have is because of this church's commitment to the word of God. We want to be true to it. We want to live our lives based on it. And today, if you are unsure of where you stand with God, you don't know how to be saved, you don't know how to respond to what you're feeling or what to do with the issues in your life, we will point you to the word of God directly. We will tell you what they told the crowd on, in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name, that you need to repent of your sins and turn your life around, and that you will be filled with the Holy Spirit just like they were in the New Testament church. That's how much we believe in the word of God. We are committed to that message here. I realize that my appeal to you is not typical this morning. For most of us, it may not even conjure up any emotion at all. And that's okay. Because our commitment to God, our faith, is not limited to an emotional experience. It certainly can be a part of it, and it is important. But faith is demonstrated by obedience and not our tears. That's very important for us to understand, specifically as Pentecostals. We love what we feel. We appreciate what we feel. We remember when we didn't feel what we feel in this house and in our lives every day. But I also understand that according to the book of James, if I don't do anything... With what I say I believe, my faith is dead. Those are very strong words that James says. And so if I believe that the word of God is true, and I am trying to live my life according to it, then my time in the word should reflect that devotion and that level of conviction That it's not just about me reading through my Bible program, but that I am looking for answers in the Word of God. And not just answers for myself, but answers for other people. As I was researching those personal copies of George Washington, I was amazed to realize that there's a second copy of the Constitution that belonged to George Washington. And it is kept in Mount Vernon in his home. And there are hand notations in the margin of that copy as well. And I have a picture of one of them for you. I don't know if you can read that, but it says, President, George Washington studied the Constitution after he was sworn in. And I think that that is so interesting and compelling. And it grabs my heart because George Washington was in the room when all these decisions were made, this discussion of what the power was that the president could have. And he had that, for, that final draft. He kept it. Maybe it was a, a souvenir of sorts. 
He was sentimental about the process, and he wanted to keep it. He didn't want it to be discarded because he was a part of that. But the fact that he has a second copy to me means that that document was more than just a souvenir. It was more than just a would-be heirloom or piece of American history. But George Washington got a second copy of the Constitution, and he kept it in his home because he was sobered by the reality of his responsibility to this nation in its infancy, and he studied to be the President of the United States. It's not a blank copy. It's not a souvenir. George Washington made notes in it, just like he did in the final draft, the one in Philadelphia. And so today, it's with great conviction that I ask all of us, what does your personal copy of this book look like? Are our Bibles well-worn? Do we have notes in the margin? Do we have things underlined that we're trying to live up to and understand? Do we have a journal with promises from this book that we feel like God has given us? Do we have somewhere where we write these things out? We write out prayers. We write about thoughts and things that the Lord is talking to us about. But much more than that, not our physical copy. But what about this one right here? What about the personal copy that we're supposed to write every day, just like the king did in the book of Deuteronomy? Does our commitment reflect the importance and absolute necessity that the Bible tells us it is? I realized this morning that this could seem a little biased and self-serving, I'm not just over the Bible quizzing program here at Calvary, but I was a quizzer for 11 years. It was the most important decision I made as a young person. It was a season of great commitment, and it was very important time would prove that I would be a Bible quizzer. And I understand that it's not for everyone. But what I do know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, is that this book will get you through anything and everything. The darkest times in your life, you've got to be able to fall back on this book. And what I also understand, based on my personal experience, that there are times when the Word of God is not physically accessible to you. I remember times of great heartbreak where I would sleep with my Bible because it brought such comfort to me and I wasn't in a place where I could read it very well. I was so upset. I was so distracted mentally. I couldn't even focus on the words. And I don't know what you think about that, but that's the truth. So I slept with it because I knew what it said. And I wanted the Lord to know, even though I can't read it right now, I still believe it. And I choose to be comforted by it. Because I know what it says. I can't use this copy in this moment. But I'm using this copy right here. 
And I want everyone at the Calvary Church to have that kind of experience. Where you're not just waiting for us to open this book on Sunday and Wednesday and help you figure it out. We want to do that. It's our privilege to do that with you. But I understand that there are moments where nobody has an answer. Nobody has the right words. Nobody knows what to say. But if you can, in the meantime, get ready for those moments by learning the word of God, by memorizing it, by studying it and writing it out in such a way that you're thinking about it all the time. You're consuming it. You're looking for ways to make it a part of your everyday life. I would invite you to stand with me now. You see, it's in those times that you realize how much you need a personal copy. Not just one that was handed to you when you first came to the Lord. And not just a copy that's well-worn because your parents had it and because your grandparents had it or a mentor of yours passed it on to you. But a copy that has verses that are very important for you and your journey and your season of life. That it's not something you have to physically reach for, but you can reach for it right here. There is power in the spoken word of God. Some of the most powerful songs that we sing here are directly quoting the word of God, and that is why they are so powerful. And so today, I understand, and I'm not asking all of you to sign up for our Bible quizzing program. I am asking you to recommit your heart to love the word of God like never before. And it doesn't mean just be in this house to hear it. But I understand based on all the verses that I read that it's got to be every day and more than once a day that we consider and consume and go back to the word of God. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.